Welcome to Beyond the Roadmap, Product Talk with AWH, a podcast for product people, by product people. Join us as experts share their experiences and expertise to help you build great products. This is Ryan Frederick, Principal with AWH, and this is Beyond the Roadmap, a podcast about building software products. With me today is Laura Jackson, who is now product manager, director of product. What's your title at ScriptDrop? Technically, it's the manager of product management, but that sounds so wordy. Sounds so redundant. Just, yeah. So I just kind of, I just say I run product. Product person. Product person. Product person at ScriptDrop. Yeah. The only one. The, on- <laughs> the one and only. <laughs> the one and only. Uh, well, that's not bad. So thank you for doing this. Of course. Um, and you know, for those that, that would have no idea when we're recording this, we're, we're doing it uh, on a Friday morning. Um, so I appreciate you making in here as the first thing as part of your day. Of course. I'm assuming you didn't like stop and like do Pilates or yoga or something before you coming know, here. You know, I decided to skip that today. Yeah. I was just like, let's focus on being on time. <laughs> <laughs> and put all the energy into this. Well, I appreciate that. So you've been a part of the Columbus product scene for a while and a lot of other things too. create Columbus commission, right? Um, the web tech Columbus group. Web group yeah. yeah. Um, and a bunch of other stuff you were um, working with Brett Buchanan, right on the Lyft product conference, et cetera. Why do all of that stuff? Why care about it? You know, and you know, is, is that, why is that important to you? Yeah, I think, Starting out, I didn't think about why it was important to me. It was just always how I've been. I've always been super involved in any any community that I'm living in and working in. And then it became sort of a tool to really help younger people. I just find that my niche is really about mentorship and wanting to bring opportunities to someone else. So as I'm starting to work in tech, especially and seeing how there's not a lot of space for people of color or women. It's just kind of being at least that one person that's running the show or speaking at a conference so that someone can relate to someone that looks like them. So it's been kind of, that's why it's been important to me, you know, um, just showing a different face up there. We've... uh ranted about product on several occasions <laughs> how did you know that it was it, it was a discipline um and a craft that, that aligned with what you wanted to do and your your skills and interests and when did that realization happen and, and how did that realization happen sure i think it honestly clicked for me about five years ago thinking about my career before that it was really focused on being able to tell a great story, being able to get close to your users. And then I was introduced to technology as a career path and just combining all of those and seeing it from the lens of almost a founder, CEO, like the business side of it, it just made sense on how to build software with a product mindset. So I think just as a discipline, I was like, this makes the most sense in order to build something that's truly valuable and that could scale. But I think recently, like living in Columbus and trying to do product here has been a little bit challenging, and that's what we've always ranted about. So I think my passion really came from, hey, kind of shifting that mindset with people that want to do product or want to do great work, and what does that look like in the ecosystem that we have here? You've consulted, contracted at some big companies. You've Mm -hmm. also worked at some startups. What are some aspects of working in both of those environments that have now shaped your sort of perspective around product and and the differences in those environments and, you know, maybe some similarities too? Yeah, I would say the one thing that both of them need is um, buy-in from the top down around whatever mindset you need your company to be in when it comes to product. You know, it always comes at the head of the snake. And so whether they are a bad leader, a good leader, you know, 
you have to kind of figure that out first, no matter what kind of size of scale you're at, um, and just really understand how your CEO or founder thinks about the company and the future of it. So I think that has been an interesting model for me, whether it's in a startup or a large organization like Nationwide. It's about asking those really tough questions to figure out, are people more comfortable with certainty, so needing to know everything and taking the safe bet, or are they willing to innovate a little bit and be egoless? Um, So I think that has been interesting on both sides. I will say, and I know that we're going to talk about this today, the ability to move quickly doesn't come through a methodology. It doesn't come through the positions and all these things that you have on your team. It's more about your ability to kind of work together, create decisions very fast, and just have everyone marching towards the same vision. Because then it just trickles down to everyone in the organization. If you created a really great vision for your organization to understand, they can make those micro decisions on their own instead of, you know, setting up this environment for micromanagement. So a good segue into talking about speed, because as we were messaging back and forth about, yeah, let's do this. What are we going to talk about? Mm -hmm. We had talked, you know, previously about you know, speed or the lack thereof yeah. in, in in organizations, especially around uh, building early products. Yeah. And it's a little bit of a misnomer, I think, that many people think that startups operate and that most startups operate faster than most enterprises. Mm-hmm. That's actually not always the case. Right. You know, unfortunately, I mean, I think they should, and enterprises also should move much faster than they than they do. Mm-hmm. When you think about speed, given the fact that that everyone knows now that they should iterate often and early on a product, why don't they? Why don't enterprises and why don't some startups even Mm -hmm. that presumably if they don't iterate often and early and move quickly on a product will just be out of business in six months, right? Right. Yet they don't. Why don't they? So it's interesting. I've been thinking about this a lot lately and You know, I haven't worked for 20 plus startups, but what I've noticed so far is when you're first starting out, you find that one customer who is your whale, who's going to actually pay you for your idea and be that first customer to help you iterate quickly. And what ends up happening is a lot of people, because they need the funding, they need the feedback, they want to get something out to market, they take a lot of the feedback from that customer And it's just like a normal agency. You're taking requirements from another person on how to build your product. And what ends up happening is they change their mind a lot. You know, they want crazy deadlines. They blow up the scope of whatever you're putting the market out first. Because, you know, you'll make one deal with, you know, whatever your customer is. Um, And when I say customer, I don't mean an end user like myself, you and I, but you know, that deal that you're inking on paper. So I think that's something that I've noticed in startups is you're still, as you're first starting to grow, you have deals on the table that you need to create revenue quickly. So um, your ability to move fast is a little bit not there because you're still at the hands of someone else dictating your roadmap and what needs to be built. From the enterprise side, I think moving quickly is honestly, you're looking at a company that already has a mature product at scale. They're at, they're a huge company. They're dealing with thousands and thousands of people. And unfortunately, it's not an organization that is flat. So at that point, you have to get things approved by so many people. Some people have egos. They're tied to an idea. It's really hard to kind of push things forward and also get the research. I can't tell you how crazy it is to me how people don't value the time they actually need to spend with the people that are using their product. So that kind of, they're just kind of shooting in the dark for what they think is going to work. And they spend a lot of time and it's on creating the wrong thing. And it just speaks to an organization's ability to be comfortable with the uncertainty and just try frequently and just get that uh, feedback loop. But Yeah, it's definitely a struggle. I think a lot of just organic politics come out of it. And then not having 
the right process in place to kind of get everyone understanding the vision and moving forward and making the right decisions when needed. Yeah, so leadership and decision making, I think, is like very key on everyone's ability to move quickly. And then that third factor around who else is at the table, that's more of a phantom um, stakeholder that you don't directly address, but is actually pulling the strings more often. You said something that uh, I think is is counterintuitive, because one of the principles of building good, successful, valuable products is getting and staying close to users, mm-hmm. uh, especially at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a a mindset that investing that time in iterating with users and staying close to them is not a worthy investment and will slow you down. Right. When in fact, I think getting and staying close to users actually will speed things up. Exactly. And so how do we get people to shift that mindset and actually value getting and staying close to users and valuing that time and seeing that that actually will move the product forward faster because they'll be iterating in much shorter cycles than, oh, we don't have time, you know, to, you know, do a lot of user research and validation and then iterating with users. How do we flip that script in your mind? High level, I would say that, you know, a lot of people focus on outputs versus outcomes. So when you're in an output mindset, you're focusing on execution, getting stuff done. Did we complete this? Let's move on to the next thing. When you focus on outcomes, you're focusing on what problem are we actually trying to solve and how are we getting the outcome that's intended for that end user. So it sounds really simple, but it's actually really hard to execute and have people shift in that mindset. Outside of that, I would say, you know, there's little things you can do by, you would be surprised how often people aren't familiar with their own product. So having them go through a certain difficult flow and then seeing them get frustrated and having that aha moment of like, why does this work this way? Right. Um, and I'm just like, well, you would know. Well, if yes, you you're the one the that time. designed it or you're <laughs> the one that built it or exactly. whatever, right? Um, and that, you know, that's just a testament to, you know, what I call like requirement factories. You know, you're just taking the requirements and building it without thinking through. So one thing that I was talking to someone recently is just kind of pivoting less on the outcomes and what you're doing and focusing more on who is it for and what you need them to succeed at um, within your product. Yeah, it's just kind of thinking through making sure that people are aware of some of the pain points that are happening. But nine times out of 10, you have a better investment and it's more valuable down the road when you actually build something that's true to your people that you're building it for versus building the wrong thing. And if you don't get the support that you need, there's so many ways to be creative that doesn't cost any money. I think that's the other part is people are like, we don't have the money to um, use usertesting.com or use a focus group consultant or anything like that. There's a lot of ways to just, I use a tool called Marvel where I can just create a really quick prototype and I can just show it to a few people at a coffee shop or show it to my peers and just say, hey, this is the direction we're thinking about going. And also what's really important and what I think a lot of people use as a buzzword is data, but they don't actually put in the infrastructure to use that data to make smarter choices. So using data that makes you understand your end user is another piece of that. So being able to understand where they are in the flow, where they're dropping off, also using something that's relatively economic like Hotjar to get video recordings of how people are going through the flow and where they're getting hung up in the user interface. Things like that. Sometimes, yeah, it you don't get the buy-in to actually make getting close to your users is a priority, but there's ways to kind of get around it and still get the feedback that you want. Another part of the idea of getting feedback from users is it's not just my job to hear that feedback as the product manager. Again, I'm really a strong believer around everyone kind of having that same level of transparency and understanding. So it's really important for the engineers on my team to have that same 
moment of opportunity to understand the users and collecting that data or seeing someone else using that product because, again, it minimizes my time to answer, <coughs> oh, my gosh. See, I told you there'd be a point where... <coughs> And I wasn't oh even my talking, gosh. right? What's <laughs> wrong with you? I don't know. I think I probably have like some sort of like, you know. Okay, let's get back on Very track core here. like disease. <laughs> anyway, what I was going to say See, is. See, it doesn't even make any sense because <laughs> I, I, I start coughing and dying and I'm just sitting here, right? Okay. Well, what I was going to say yeah. is. Continue. Everyone needs to be close to their users because at the end of the day, it cuts down on all those little micro decisions that you have to make in a day. There's so many, you know, that happen as you're starting to build or design something that doesn't need to, you know, have everyone's approval on. And I think that's also something that slows things down is people don't feel the confidence because they don't have the context to understand the product. And that slows it down. Right. People are now double and triple checking things. Exactly. Right. And they're they don't feel empowered. And they're insecure. Right. So they're like, oh, do you think this is the right way to approach this? Do you think this is a good idea? It's like nobody has more context around this than you. You should have the context, and if you don't, then I'm not doing a good job. Then that's a problem. Exactly. So even the other day, one of the engineers on my team asked me something. I was like, well, what do you suggest? And he said something, and I was like, then why did you ask me? You know what I mean? It's just. Yeah, it just helps out a lot in terms of just cutting down the time and letting people focus on what they need to focus on if you guys are all playing from the same playbook. Yeah, and it's interesting that there's this, and this is a little bit human nature. I mean, creating anything is hard, Yes. fundamentally. So you'll often see and hear people say, oh, well, we don't have enough data, right, to make that decision or mm-hmm. that you know to be informed around that. And then the same people... Right, a couple of days later, right, will then say, "Oh, well, we haven't spent enough time with users, right?" And so, it's this sort of, you know, we will use whatever we don't have at the moment is kind of like an escape hatch, right, to then say, "Oh, well, yes. now we need to go do this," yes. right? And, and I'm like, "No!" Instead of just moving forward on the context that you have, because yep. you're I never have- going to have enough. Definitely right? not. You can always go do more research, more validation, yeah. et cetera. But you at can't some do point, it all day. you've got to call right. the ball and you've just got to move forward. I actually just read a study um, that was done this year. I think they pulled about 2,000 product managers globally. And I think I shared it with you. But when it comes to decision making, it's 57.8% of product managers that they polled um, said that they still make decisions with their gut. And I say that to some people and they're like, oh, that's bad. And I'm like, no, when you say it's your gut, it's your experience, it's you've done this, this is your craft, there is some say to that. And also, I can't tell you enough how many times an engineering team will say, man, I like how decisive you can be on decision making, it keeps us moving. Um, So, you know, there is a balance there around you don't need to measure every single thing and need to have a solid answer. Again, it reflects back to your organization's mindset of your level of comfort with uncertainty. You can't waste time wanting to know every single detail and making sure you're making a silver bullet you know, type of right. decision. It has to be a little bit being okay with failing, learning from it, and then moving on. And I think... People, humans innately are not comfortable with failing. Right. And I don't think that we're very comfortable with moving quickly by and large. Yes. Right. Because moving, moving change. Yes. And moving quickly has a little bit of a con, you know, a, a, um, a construct of it being risky, right? Yes. Because when you move quickly at something, somehow there's lots of risk attached to moving quickly. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I think that's when people start to get insecure and not confident because they're like, oh, we're moving quickly. And so that seems, this seems risky. And so now I'm going to become more insecure on the fact that it seems risky. A ton of data. Yeah. Right. And and so then they start to slow down the process just so they can become more comfortable themselves. Right. Uh, And do you have any thoughts about how to sort of improve that or to give ways to get people to become more confident and comfortable with moving quickly? Or do you think this is just going to be, because of the, you know, how flawed we are as people around this concept of moving quickly, that it's just sort of going to be an ongoing challenge. Honestly, 
I think it does just come down to the human level. I think there's always going to be some people that are never going to be comfortable with moving quickly. And then there's some people, there's almost three buckets. The second one is people that say they want to move quickly, but they don't actually know what that looks like. So just kind of keeping an eye on them and making sure that yeah, they they're sort not of, missing the boat. They sort of get it. Right. Right. But then in, in practice, they can't really execute on moving right. quickly. Because we're all just human and humans innately, it's extremely difficult for us to change our natural behavior. So yeah, if it's uncomfortable for you, it is going to be challenging, especially work, you know, um, And then there's that really slim group that loves change, loves to move quickly, that gets excited about it. And I think that those people I never just, they're dime a dozen, to be honest. But going back to that first group, the people that are truly uncomfortable, I spend the most time with them because I want to make sure that they're not hating their life, but um, getting to know them better, assuring them, like, you're doing a great job. But I need you to understand this is how we have to move. I think that's really challenging for some people to hear. And then just saying, please don't get attached. I think that's the other thing is ego sets in the way a lot um, of your ability to get attached to the work you do. And it's not to say that the work you do isn't valuable, but sometimes the direction changes and you have to be okay with pivoting. And Everyone says, we need to be able to pivot. We need to listen to what the market's saying. But so many people don't believe that. They can't actually do it. And that's where companies fail. Yeah, and I do think that that is, you know, creating anything is hard. But I think if you're if you're a sculptor, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Once you're halfway done with the sculpture, yeah, it's going to be whatever, you know, it's going to be that sculpture, yep. right? With software whether you're 10% through, 50% through, 80% through, mm-hmm. it, it might become something else and you might go in a different direction at a moment's notice because sure. part, because you can, right? right? It's not this hardened, tangible, physical you know, object like a sculpture is. Yeah. That makes a lot of craftspeople really uncomfortable yeah. because you said it's like, well, shit, we've already built 80% of it and now you're saying... 30% of the 80% yep. is inappropriate, is going to have to get reworked, is going to have to do something different. How do we get engineers and designers, right, a little bit more comfortable with the fact that, that yes, what you did, we're now not going to use, mm-hmm. or we're not going to use in the same context, because people want to be proud of the work and, and the time in, that they invested in it. But in the end, the value to the user, Mm -hmm. right, is the only thing that matters ultimately. A hundred percent. And I mean, I actually just recently had to have this conversation with someone on my team. So it's very relevant right now. And I basically told him, I said, you talk about you want to be proud of your work. And, but what if no one adopts this because it's not the right direction? You know, it's just kind of reframing like, You want to be proud of your work, but you also want the things that you're building to be adopted and easy and make sense to the user. This is why we have to pivot and move in this new uh, design. And after kind of talking that through, he's like, okay, I understand now. Because what, again, we're all just human. He really took it as you didn't do a great job, you know? Right. And it's never anything personal. It's always about... What does the market need? And I think that honestly is very hard. I mean, I worked with a team at Nationwide on a new product feature that we were trying to put out to market. And I think I might have told you this story, but it was one of those moments and no one copyright this because this is a Laura Jackson exclusive. But I think it was um, what I call a brushing teeth moment where Someone high, high up was brushing their teeth one morning. They're like, this is a good idea. This is what we should build. And then when it actually gets brought in front of us, we're like, no one is going to use this, right? So you're almost mandated to do this thing that you know isn't valuable. And no one on the team is excited about it because they know it's not valuable. And we spent a lot of time actually having fun with it because I pivoted it secretively with the team that 
let's prove that this isn't going to work for our end users. Let's make sure all the data is there to show how often they're dropping off, how this is not going to work. Like, let's make sure that there's a story here to show we're going to try to make it work. Don't get me wrong, but like, let's make sure that all the pieces are in place to really show the story of what's struggling is. Um, so we built this thing for months and months and months. And, um, I did a lot of guerrilla marketing <laughs> tactics and walked on all the floors <laughs> in Tower 3 at Nationwide Plaza 3 and showed it to different teams. And they're like, oh, this is confusing. Took all that data down. I made sure that we did a really small test pilot for one, one or two of the larger states so we could get enough volume but still show what was happening. And then presented all of that and had the product in front of that same leadership. And then it just clicked to them where they were like, oh, this is not a great idea. You were right. But I'm saying all that to say, even though everyone in that squad, we knew it wasn't going to be great. It was enough practice to show like what you need to be thinking about to understand if something is going to work and be successful. Because at the end of the day, you are in a room with four walls with people and you might have your gut telling you that this might not work or it might work. But the users at the end of the day are actually going to tell you that. One example I always give is about Spotify when they first created Discover Weekly. It was essentially just a greatest hits playlist. It wasn't what it is today where it recommends music based on your other likes. And that was because they didn't talk to anybody. So even though you can be the most brilliant team, you still need to be really close to your end users. So, yeah, I just just making even something that feels like a failed project, still making it fun and <coughs> valuable, still a learning experience. I think you can, you know, as if you're in a position to lead your team, I would never recommend this ever again. But, you know, if you are in a tough spot where you are being asked to do something that might not be right for the integrity of the product, think about how do you spin it to where it's still a learning opportunity and people still feel proud about the work that they're doing. Because what we ended up doing was building something from scratch that was still really cool tech. It just wasn't the use case for our users. Right. So everyone still learned you know, how to create this from scratch. And it was fun. One of the things that gets, that we lose sight of is mm -hmm. the fact that creating products is a results business and it's not just a creative endeavor for the sake, for the sake of creating the products. Yes. And so that's often where we can lose designers and, and engineers, right? Is, is, mm. oh, we're building this cool thing, right? Mm. In the end, whether it's cool, not cool, uses new tech, doesn't use new, uses old tech, whatever, it's a results, it should be a results business, right? Absolutely. Who's using it? Are they getting value? Are they willing to pay? How much are they willing to pay? How often are they willing to use it? All of those things. And I think this is part of the, this feeds into, in, into speed mm -hmm. that because we still off too often look at it as a production creative endeavor instead Output. of instead of a result endeavor yep. right that we then are less concerned about how quickly we move and how quickly we get it out right Got and it. so you know i i think there is a there's a, it's an ongoing challenge of it not being in creative pursuit as as much as it is no 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 we're only doing this because we need to drive these results and these outcomes mhm mm so I think I was just I was just you know parroting back to you you know the the um, outcomes you know versus outputs you know yeah. um, in you know a slightly different way as I was thinking about your commentary. So agile was supposed to save us from all this. Oh right? gosh, here we go. Agile was supposed to make us faster, right? Oh no. It was supposed to keep <laughs> us close to users. It uh, was supposed yes. to be you know the the methodology that got everybody to the point of iterating quickly and building better products. Mm -hmm. Where has it let us down? Where has it been good? What's your perspective on, on Agile and, and you know, where we are with it? Well, you've obviously heard me chuckle a little bit as you asked this question. So full disclosure, 
I used to work for a company that I consider is the best in Scrum and Agile, just from a academic perspective, right? However, what I've seen happen, and not just with that group, but just in my career, okay, I'll backtrack just a second. Yeah. So I am considered a young chicken, right? Like I'm just, I'm pretty new in my I thought career. you were going to say young chick. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm a young chick. Great. Uh, <laughs> okay. But what people don't realize is I've actually, this is going to be my 17th engineering team that I've worked with. So I have worked with dozens and dozens and dozens of engineers at this point in my career. And Agile comes in and it, it it's exactly like what you said. It has gotten this buy-in again it's all at the head of the snake in mm-hmm. leadership of this is the dream to get us to move faster. Yep. This is the pinnacle of how this we is create the Mecca. Yeah. Yep. And I think what's crazy and what I loved about the past consulting company that I worked for is the very first thing they teach you in a scrum course, for example, is scrum or agile is a framework and you need to make it work for you. So I think, People just hear that sentence and they immediately just throw it out. They're like, we need to follow this down to the T. This is what we need to do. And what that looks like is... Or the opposite, right? They bastardize all of the principles because they heard... It's a framework. That it's a framework and they could apply it to them, which means they have complete freedom to do whatever they want inside of it. Sure. And that's how you end up, you know, with this, this, you know, sort of waterfall, you know, um, agile hybrid thing, right? Where it's, right. And so, yes, but typically one of two things happens. Yes. And I'll I'll definitely talk to both. And so, yeah, you're on the one side where you're like, let's hire scrum masters. Let's get physical boards. Let's have two week sprints. And let's have the ceremonies, whatever that might be. Yep. And what does that matter if you're not, that doesn't equate to faster work. And then the other side of it is the other, you know, use case you brought up where someone just completely is like, well, let's do whatever. At the end of the day, I think what people lack understanding it is just like the principles, the core idea of it, which is being able to iterate quickly based on findings that you have. I'm not a huge stickler for making sure at the end of the sprint we have some deliverable, shippable thing. But again, it's just, honestly, it comes down to transparency and alignment with you and your team on what it is that you're working on right now and what's upcoming and like keeping them aware of the things that you're thinking about and I'm when I say you I'm talking from a product manager perspective so if my team doesn't know that I'm already visualizing x y and z for the next month of our time they can't think ahead right and they don't have any knowledge around being able to make sure that what they're doing right now is going to benefit for what's going to happen in the next week, the next week after that. So again, it's just minimizing the lines of communication by making it so process heavy. Like I should not have to go in a room by myself, create a six page or two page scope document, hand it off in a formal meeting. Like we should all, we should all know what the vision is for the product. What are some things that are upcoming? And then that way we can work faster on just Again, it comes down to those micro decisions that people have to make every day. They already know what the vision is. They know what we're kind of aiming for. And back to your last question around um, results, results are actually really important. And if people don't understand how we're measuring ourselves to be successful and what that looks like, they also aren't understanding kind of what is about to happen. So getting back to Agile, I think that you need to remember the principles, which is being able to have transparency, iterate quickly and often, and then just understanding that there is one funnel, if you will, or you know, a place to kind of someone that's responsible for setting that vision for the product. Um, 
And just having that structure, I think, goes a long way if you're actually practicing it. So a lot of people aren't transparent with their teams. They think the information is just for the business, right? And then they they just kind of toss it over the fence and they're like, hey, go do this without any context. And that slows things down. So there's just so many nuancey things. Again, I think I'm only gotten to the point where I am because everything is about your EQ, like your emotional intelligence to things and just figuring out how people work. Doing the work is relatively easy. It's the complications around how you work together as a team that slow things down and how much misalignment happens and lack of transparency. And I think when people think of agile, they're not thinking about that. They're thinking about what roles do I need to hire for? What environment? We need to have open space environment. Like all these things. It's still very process oriented. It's still extremely process oriented. And it's just really being able to communicate and work well as a team and just kind of having, again, playing from the same playbook and just everyone having that same understanding. I think that is really more important than, you know, how many sprints we feel comfortable doing and how we, I hate estimating cards, those types of things. I'm just like, it makes me a little cringy. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, even the idea of, of sprints, you know, I, the intent there was that you you would stay close to users and you would iterate quickly. Mm-hmm. And w- what's happened now, by and large, is the sprints have just become delivery windows, right? right. But it's not because people have bastardized the fundamentals around it. Yeah. They don't stay close to users during sprints or even at all in between or at all. Yeah. And they don't really, they're not iterating inside mm-hmm. of those sprints. It's just, this is a two week delivery window. This is a two week delivery window. Yep. Right. And just because you take a nine month project and you divide it into two week delivery windows, doesn't mean you're iterating quickly or close with users. Right. I honestly see the sprints more as a tool for, myself honestly selfishly as a pm to just understand how much work can we get done in a sprint to know like what i can realistically say we'll have time to do and it helps me prioritize yeah, the work better r- roadmap uh, exactly you know, positioning because that's right? that's exactly what everyone needs to understand in the organization is having transparency to the roadmap because there's it's not just my team that you work with on a product team. You also have to work with your customer success folks. You have to work with operations. You have to work with sales, marketing, everyone. Yep. So if they don't know what's coming up and I can't confidently say, hey, we are probably going to start iterating on this feature. Like we might go to market with this feature now and I have no idea how long it's going to take us. It hinders my ability to let the rest of the organization get prepared for that, whether it's from a go-to-market strategy, whether it's from sales. Like, product is at the center of everything. So um, that's honestly the only reason why I care about sprints is to see how much the team can handle. And then we as a team can help prioritize and figure out, okay, what do we feel comfortable with working on mm-hmm. based on what the market's telling us, what the company's priorities are. It just honestly helps with prioritization more than anything. Yeah. Many organizations that are agile have struggled Truly with... agile or just saying they are? It, it, both. Okay. They've struggled with how to inject product management into mm. their agile process, right? Because agile has, you know, the product owner... But the mm-hmm. agile product owner is a different role than project than product management. I can't talk about this enough. And so we're now at this interesting sort of crossroads of companies are going, ah, that product thing seems to make sense. And product management seems to make sense mm-hmm. as a role. Yep. Yet we don't really know how to inject product management into our existing agile process whether they're doing agile right. well or poorly it's honestly because everyone equates agile to moving fast truly right and i think a good product manager comes in which and means they're, they're delusional in most cases exactly right. and i think a good product manager comes in and they're like hey we actually need to pause and make sure we're doing the right thing sometimes you know 
And people are just innately not comfortable with that. So it is hard to inject a true product manager versus a product owner to come in and say, hey, are we all aligned on what the vision is? Do we understand our own research about the product? How are we building in place to get feedback loops? Do we understand the problem we're solving? Exactly. Are we even solving a problem? Right. Oh, my goodness. And so people are extremely uncomfortable with that. So it's what's been so nice at script drop. I mean, I can't, I hope they don't hear this and get like a big head about how much I love this group, but I came in and the number one thing that I have learned to be really important is to just vocalize what the hell product management is organizationally wide. So I've met with every single person at script drop, given them overview on what I think product means and why it's important. And then I also was able to say, you know, implement new tools. And, you know, tools is this taboo thing when you're in an organization like, oh, tool management, like everyone has an opinion. Uh, Like, how are we going to adopt this? And I'm just like, this is what we need. And everyone's like, cool, let's do it. So it's just, I have so much buy-in for a product shift at script job than I've ever had anywhere else. So it's a, it's a little overwhelming cause I'm getting a little bit vulnerable and imposter syndrome where I'm like, Oh my gosh, they're never saying no to anything. Like when is this going to stop? You know? Well, Nick is a very yes self-aware, humble mm-hmm. leader. I can't. Yes. And in a real way by action, right? There's some people I think who aren't have that intent. But when your back is up against the wall, you drop down to that easier dimension of comfort where you're, you can't stay true to who you are. You kind of want to please people, things like that. Again, everything is about just human nature. Mm-hmm. But anyway, and um, so yeah, it's just, it's just been extremely interesting coming to a company like Script Drop and just having people have the buy-in, having engineers from... First starting out to season customer success professionals like this makes sense. We want to build great work this way. So yeah, I'm excited to see what happens in the next six months or so. Yeah, um, everybody should check out and if they get an opportunity to um, hear next speak or or catch him, you know, yeah. on on a podcast or something. Mm-hmm. Um, his background, his story is is fascinating. It's amazing. And he's um, of such a a humble and effective leader Mm -hmm. that, I mean, it's no surprise that Script Drop is doing well and growing and and, and building a a really good team to to execute that. We've talked a lot about the reasons for, for a lack of speed. Let's talk a little bit about some of the impacts so that Mm -hmm. if you don't move fast enough, right, you know, what that ultimately can mean. Yeah. Um, what it means to your customers and your users and customers. Cause you mentioned earlier, especially for startups right. that have a couple of early customers that, that then get a huge voice in the product yep. and then the roadmap and how that can be dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, the same is true though, that if, if customers don't see you moving fast enough, yes. right, then they will just be like, well, you're not moving fast enough. The product, you haven't given us what we wanted fast enough, right? They move the, on. The product isn't evolving. They just move on. Yep. Right? Because... You're a vendor, essentially. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there isn't no company and no no product is such a unique snowflake that they probably can't get the problem solved in a hundred other ways, yeah. if not more. Especially if they have the capital to do it. Right. So if they've got means, you know, you, if you can write a big enough check, you can find ways to solve problems. Right. So, you know, surprising, that, and, and it's back to the results a little bit in mm-hmm. that we often, as humans, we fail in not understanding the impact, right, of not performing to a certain level. Sure. Customers being at risk is certainly one of those, right, yeah. where customers can, can move on, Right investors invest in companies for them to move quickly and for them to progress quickly. And I've seen it, I've experienced it myself Mm -hmm. in products that I've been a part of building and companies that I've been a part of starting. And now with others that I've invested in and as an advisor, investors, 
if you want to get sideways with an investor, move slowly on the product. Absolutely. Right? And so, but again, teams don't necessarily, that result, right, of that investor now getting upset because you're not moving fast enough on the product doesn't seem to make it down into the actual execution. Why is is that? Yeah. And this is why I love working at Script Drop and I like working with Nick is he's a lot like me, very blunt to the point but also very transparent with his team. So I've been in places where that messaging doesn't get all the way down. And so people are just like, oh, everything's fine. We're doing great. No, we're not. And it doesn't have as much clout sometimes when it comes from a product manager. Like I've always been fortunate enough to be, to have a seat at the table to hear how things are truly going in the business. But sometimes it's not enough for me to motivate the team to say that it needs to come from your founder. It needs to come from your CEO. So, yeah, I think moving slow, you have to have transparency in order to tell people how serious this is. Yeah, why it matters um, to because move fast. I always tell people, I think a little bit of what's different between getting into my background around a startup and an enterprise is I tell people, I'm sorry that, you know, you thought we had this luxury as a startup to work a normal nine to five, you know, sometimes that's true. And I'm not here to say that, like go out there, kill yourself and not have a life, but sometimes you need to put extra hours in. And then in an enterprise where there's not into what I'm about to talk about, where there's not a lot of competition, a dip in the, in the revenue that month isn't, you know, that bad. It's not make or break for your business when you're, you know, a Fortune 500, you know, so it doesn't have that same kind of rippling effect. And that's where, you know, that whole concept of being transparent seems like you don't need to, but it still is. But anyway, um, yeah, so I think that's a part of it. The other one is if you're not working fast enough, competition is real, (laughs) especially in startup. There is someone else that has gotten wind of what you're creating and they will rip you off and it's a real threat and they might have a better founder who can articulate the story better they might have a more skilled team to work truly work faster there's also just that level again of eq of just being able to quickly center around each other create a great team and then move faster in that way so if you aren't understanding and keeping an eye on your competition and you're moving slower and they're moving faster, you might not make it. So yeah, it's just keeping an eye on your competition. Also being transparent around what's going on in the business, I think is very important to move faster. It motivates people. And I'll be honest, sometimes it demotivates people, then let them go. They're probably the wrong people. Let them go. And that's really hard, but you're not rowing in the same direction. Right. So that, and then also by not moving quickly enough, you talked about investors, they start to worry that it causes a lot of stress on your CEO or founder. It causes a lot of stress on your leadership team. And that sometimes can innately cause stress for the rest of your team and they move slower. So it's just like, it's this circle of life thing where we need to move faster that makes sense to where we're not making poor decisions but not you know not moving too quickly to where you're just moving fast and move fast and not having a real stake in the ground on are we hitting the results we need to be hitting but um yeah i think all of that is a part of moving slowly to where it it gets troublesome but at the end of the day, I think it all comes back to, I can't say this enough, it all comes about back to this mindset of outcomes and the results and letting that be transparent to the organization. What problems are we really trying to solve? How do we think we're going to be successful? And if we aren't, how do we pivot from that? And just openly talking about that, making conflict comfortable to talk about when we are failing. And then making sure you have a strong leadership team, a strong product manager to say, hey, we didn't make the mark. Now what do we do? And move quickly. Don't keep it hidden from your organization, from your team. Because then you move slower because you're not being transparent. Right. It's not just out on the table. And then everyone's thinking about it and you come up with something greater. There's just so many pieces that 
create an organization to move slowly. Yeah, I think a lot about the discipline of execution Mm -hmm. now, because you you see, you know, and and I started thinking about this, like around the the Patriots in football, right? And, and, you know, no one would argue that they've got the most talented team. Not at all. They don't, right? But? But they're the most disciplined team, Mm -hmm. and they execute with the most discipline. So when other teams who are more talented are going through practice and going through training camp, you know, Mm -hmm. et cetera, with a, an attitude of, you know, we're talented, we're good. We know we're good. Right. Oh my gosh. And then the Patriots show up to play them. Mm -hmm. Right. And then the Patriots execute, you know, with a level of discipline in the game because they executed with a level of discipline and practice and in trade camp that the other guys didn't. Right. Right. Then the Patriots by and large win. Yeah. Right. And so, I've thought about this in, in, you know, the, in the business context. Mm-hmm. And if you think in, even if you think about performers, yep. the best singers aren't with, with truly with the best vocals mm-hmm. aren't necessarily the most popular acts. Right. Right. And the best vocalists maybe take it, you know, take it for granted that they're actually a really great vocalist and then they're less disciplined. Right. So mm-hmm. inside of building products, you know, how do we create this sort of, expectation that everyone is going to execute well every day and have a a level of responsibility and accountability to the rest of the team that you're going to do your role to the best of your ability today because if you don't you're not only letting yourself down but you're letting this person down and this person down and this person down how do you create that sort of culture of discipline of execution inside of product teams yeah you said a word that's really what it comes down to, um, and I'll name a few others, but it's about accountability. Some people don't really know how they're being measured in their role to be successful. They don't know what their job really is. They have some skills. They know how to do X, Y, and Z, but they don't know how they're being measured and what's being expected of them. They don't know how to be held accountable. And I know that sounds like, well, oh my gosh, how is that possible? I write code. Right? I write code. So, yeah. So if my code is good, that should be the, I'm doing the, a good the measure job. that I'm doing a good job. But it's all these other things. You're being held accountable to understanding your product. It's my job to set a clear, understandable vision for you to understand what problems we're solving, what the product is intended to do, how we're being measured for success. But it's your job to take that on and really foster that and how you develop and thinking long term short-term, all those micro-decisions I've been talking about today. The other part of that is, you know, it's the same thing as the Nuggets, as the Patriots, all these teams. You don't need to have a whole team of A-plus players. You need to figure out what, how to create a combination of people that will be the best team. Outside of just the whole who's right ego kind of thing when you have a team of just all-stars it's again it's just about creating a team that complements each other well and they understand exactly what their job is on that team and what they are the most skilled at so that everyone and then the other part is you need to have empathy and understand what everyone else on your team is responsible for because you need to hold your teammates accountable like hey you're the expert in automation testing why did this not you know, why did this not work out? Why haven't we thought about writing this script for this very common use case scenario that happens all the time in our product? Like, you're holding your team accountable too. And I think that's what makes teams really strong is if you understand what each of your team members is great at and what they're there to do, as well as your own accountability in your job, you can hold yourself accountable as well as your team. And here's the tricky part is making sure that people are okay with getting that feedback of understanding and um, being okay with getting a little bit of criticism and, you know, toughening up not a little bit. Not taking it personally, yeah, because not being we're emotional. Here. This is what I tell every single team that I join is we're not saving lives, you know, so you shouldn't Well, script get... drop you kind of are, though. I know, and I've been saying <laughs> so now you, that. So now you can't say that anymore. I know, and I've been saying that to everyone at script drop. I'm like, oh, what do I say now? Because we actually are saving lives. So I am still working on that little so, pitch. So now you just have to flip it and say, damn it, we are saving lives. Like, we, so we are saving lives. So we have to get this shit right. No, like, I actually still don't know what to say. But I've been... I've, 
prior to script drop, I've always said, we're not saving lives. Don't take it personal. This is a moment for us all to grow and figure out like, how can we do better and move faster again? Because when you let that emotion creep in, it slows it down. And I, and I don't say, I don't want to say that to get people confused. Like I'm like, what's crazy is it's all about who we are as people and like letting your ego come in. Sometimes it, and you get hurt. Sometimes you move slower out of resistance and anger and you don't even realize you're doing it, right? You don't even realize that you are truly sacrificing your team. Yep. And then on the other side, you can use that and you use it as fuel. And you're like, shit, I am not pulling my weight. I have to do this for the people around me. Like we are all in the trenches together. Yeah, it's really hard for people to kind of innately feel that way if they don't know what they're being accountable for, what their team is being accountable for, and what your members of the team are being accountable for. Execution is... 99.9% of the game we can have a great vision we can have a great roadmap but if we can't execute on it we're gonna die in the water so um yeah i mean execution being agile is does not mean we're going to be able to execute better it's about figuring out having that same understanding on your team about what we're here to do and getting the job done and i know that sounds so basic but you would be shocked how little people understand what they need to be doing and how they're contributing to the bigger picture. And I think it's leadership's job, a product manager's job, a scrum master, whomever, to kind of be like, this is why you matter and this is how you're contributing to the bigger picture. Let that fuel you and let you be accountable to that vision and let's get it done. People don't take the time to do that sometimes. Yeah. So speaking of being accountable, Laura's stomach is now holding us accountable to end this um, so that she can go get some breakfast, apparently. No, no, no. I'm not going to eat till about 1 o'clock today. Okay. You're not it gonna, is growling. Yeah. You're not, your stomach is growling. You're not going to eat till 1 o'clock? I'm actually not hungry. I've been intermittent fasting, so. Oh, okay. I'm like a 1 to 6.30 person right now. Okay. You're doing, you're doing one of those things, you know, to, you know, cleanse yourself and your mind and your body. It's been fine, actually. Yeah? Yeah. Going well I just so drink far? a ton of water now, and it makes me realize how little I drink water every day. Yeah. By helping with those cravings outside of it. What time is it? Is it time? It's it's time it's time to to stop talking. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, All right. The time that goes by fast. By. The time goes by fast, doesn't it? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, any final thoughts? Yeah. I would say, as it comes to product, if it's a field that you want to get into... Talk to the people at the organization that are in the role. Ask them the hard questions, how they think about leading a team. I think people think it is it is about execution, but also just how do they treat the people around them um, and making sure that they're guided in the right direction. And then make sure that you get a definition from the CEO, founder themselves, and say, how do you define product? I have turned down job offers based on that question because if again it's at the head of the snake if they aren't aligned with that and i can tell i can cut through it and hear and hear it in their answer that they don't get it it's probably going to be a waste of my time but i think i'm hoping at least that columbus can start to build up a better community around product it's extremely hard in the environment that we're in for people to be true believers i know i sound culty right now but it's a really small segment of people that get it and that are trying to kind of go against what human nature allows you to do with being comfortable not taking risks it is challenging but i'm hoping that we can change that in the next few years yeah i well i think we're i think we're making reasonably good progress to that end well tell nick that i'm going to be reaching out to him to do a startup grind um, oh absolutely so, i love that um yeah uh, it'll be it'll be because um, i've heard a little bit of his his story and so um it'll be a good one he's great yeah thank you for doing this of course uh, thanks it, for having me it's been uh, a product conversation with laura jackson who's manager of all things product management at script drop that was a good <laughs> description right love it yep and this is ryan frederick from awh This has been Beyond the Roadmap, a podcast about building software products. See you next time.
Need some help with product? AWH is a digital product consulting, user experience, and software development firm here to help you create great digital products. Check out www.awh.net or follow us on Twitter at AWHnet to learn more.